This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 108. I'm Janine Olive's food director and podcast host. This week, editorial assistant Ellie chats to Sam Bompas of Bompas and Paw about Scoop, a new exhibition all about ice cream, which includes history, paraphernalia, and even glow-in-the-dark ice cream. And later, I'm catching up with cookie writer Adam to discuss the best grub to serve up while watching the World Cup. But first up, here's drinks writer Hannah with Olive's own wine writer, Kate Hawkin, discussing her book, Aperitif, which celebrates the early evening sharpener in all its glory, from classic jean teas to vermouth and sherry. My name's uh, Hannah Gillis. I'm a drinks writer at Olive Magazine, and I'm here with Kate Hawkins, our wine writer, who uh, is here to talk about her new book, Aperitif. Hi, Kate. Hello. Um, Kate has come, very kindly come to Olive HQ all the way from Bristol. So, Kate, why did you want to write about aperitifs? Um, because I like the drinks. I like the concept of aperitifs, which is something to drink for a meal or when you get home from work and you just mm. want a little bit something, but maybe you don't want a beer or a wine. And there's loads of great drinks out there. So mm. I thought I'd um, let the world know. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who is not familiar with aperitif... Um, so the, sub- the subhead is as a spirited guide to the drinks, history and culture of the aperitif. And it covers everything from, um, you know, the perfect glassware or yep. um, brands to keep an eye on to the individual histories of different types of aperitifs. So everything from vermouth to sherry to G&Ts um, to, you know, some pretty obscure, yep. um, <laughs> strange herbal concoctions. concoctions. Um, and... Um, really accessible uh really well written and thank you (laughs) and um towards the end of the book you've got lots of different cocktails um, aperitifs aperitifs i do make a distinction distinction, true so there's lots of uh, aperitif recipes and the good thing about them is um they're all pretty simple Um, they're designed for you to make up at home so don't worry you're not going to need you know 20 different types of bitters or that's the whole point about them um so yeah most of them you know you can you can knock up with um kind of whatever you have as long as you've as long as you buy a, few different... a glass and you've got some ice and maybe tonic water mm. and maybe a lemon or an orange you can kind of make anything out. <laughs> but if you read this book um i think you'll be inspired to start investing in things like vermouth so. um sherry's yeah. um amaro all sorts of different things um, is it Am- is it amaro is the plural and no, Amari is, is the plural. Amari is the plural, okay. Um, so would we be, singular. Would we be talking about aperitivi? Yes, exactly. Aperitivi, well yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's about as far as my knowledge of Italian goes. Um, so, Kate, um, yeah, there's something about a drink in the early evening. It just seems to mark, you know, particularly after work yeah, or before the end of the day and just, yeah. And the kind of the mark of, like, for me, it always signifies when you stop having to be sort of a grown-up with a capital G <laughs> and then you can kind of... Yeah. It's your leisure time after that. Yes, you know exactly, I mean? exactly. But I think it doesn't seem to be... It seems to be, seems to be something that's kind of um, fallen out of fashion a little bit. Um, I know back in, like, you know, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, great-grandparents' day, they'd, you know, the, the, the day was marked by... Yeah. When you'd have they'd certain have drinks. Per- I mean, probably, exactly. probably too much, but well. in their case, because <laughs> they'd have, like, you know, G&Ts for lunch, then wine for lunch, and yes. then that then yeah. and then, and then, and then, and then <laughs> wine for dinner, and then whiskeys afterwards. So, um, but 
you know, it's it's something, it's some, it's a ritual that, at least in the UK, you don't seem to see that yeah, much. Yeah, it's not really a cultural thing in the UK. So in countries like Spain and Italy and France, mm -hmm. it's what they kind of do. People finish work and go to a bar mm. and have... It could just be a beer or a G&T or a Campari and soda, mm. um, but that's much more part of their culture than it is in the UK. Yeah, why do you think that is? Weather, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And we have pubs, or had pubs, mm. so kind of historically in this country, people go to the pub. Yeah rather than stroll around in a leafy cafe. And yeah, I suppose if it's been, like, freezing temperatures and exactly. horrible rain outside, you, you want to go in and you want to sink a pint, not, exactly. not, yeah. not a delicate little drink. Yeah. But um, <laughs> hopefully this book will change your mind about that. Um, it's obviously, you, you kind of divide, you know, you, you kind of look at all, all you know, quite a wide range of different European countries. Um, so everywhere from, you know, Italy and France and Spain to even places like Germany, which I normally wouldn't yes. associate... Um, it with the, with the aperitif, aperitif. Um and they have their own like sparkling wine and their own yeah yeah that, good sparkling wine mm -hmm. um, and they're starting to make good vermouths as well mm -hmm. yeah um, is there say say between say France and Italy would you say there's a big difference in the kind of types of drinks they serve um, uh, I think the Italians are keener on vermouths mm. and the French yeah um, the kind the big French teeth pasties. Mm -hmm. So th things like uh, Ricard Perno. Mm -hmm. um, With kind of an Which I really like. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's quite an appetising mm. flavour. Um, and the Spanish are really big on vermouths now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> gin, of course. Mm. The Spanish are huge yes, yes. Gin drinkers as you know yeah in spain they tend to drink it after a meal yeah yeah what's the difference between a spanish vermouth and say a french or an italian one um italians are sweeter well not um, historically um it's all quite complicated so the french are best known for white and dry vermouths like mm -hmm. um pratt things like that. Mm -hmm. And the Italians have historically been better known for sweet red ones, mm -hmm. but make white and dry as well. Yeah. Spanish are keener on s s sweet and red, mm. but make some white stuff as well. So they kind of all do it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's loads of new <laughs> brands out there. Mm. I know, in all the countries, including yeah. the UK. And they're mixing up the styles a lot more now. Mm, and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of English vermouths that suddenly kind of yeah, loads, come onto the market. Loads, which, loads, since I wrote the book, mm. which makes the book almost obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean another new one? Well, if you want, yeah, it's big. It's it's big. We're doing. Seems a Kate will be writing about vermouths uh, in the August issue of the magazine. Yes, uh, with a couple of messages from the book. <laughs> oh, have you? Good. That's good to Sorry. hear. Sorry, um, deadline. <laughs> and um, so yes, if you want to, uh, we'll be featuring a couple of recipes recipes from the book and she'll be writing more and uh, updating us all on the state of the moose yeah. in the UK yeah. uh, in the August issue so do keep an eye out for that um, so I was reading in your intro that your kind of first your first love in terms of what you introduced you as Campari and sodas yes um, that was your kind mm. of 
classic go-to. Yeah, go-to still drink. a massive yeah. Campari fan. Um, well, you can't knock the classics. No. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, what, what what are you enjoying drinking right now? Um, well, I'm really liking a mousse. I have to say, mm. but it's really easy because you can get home from work and you can sling a bit in a glass over ice and just have it like that. Mm. Or you can mix it with soda water or tonic water to mm. make it long and refreshing. Mm. Or you can make a Negroni, which is a bit stronger and more dangerous. Yeah, really, Hits the spot. Also really punchy like a martini. So. Yeah, or martini, yeah. exactly. It's, yeah, quite hard working, it's quite a hard-working drink. It's like, I think if you were going to yeah, buy it, if you were going to invest so in versatile. anything, That's invest, what I would invest say. in a vermouth, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, white and, and red. It's also quite good for cooking as well. It's really um, good for cooking. Yes, so any, yeah, sometimes like, oh, don't want to put that in the cooking because it's too I nice. Know. But yeah, sometimes I. I <laughs> but mean, no, you're right. I think. Well, I mean, I, I often um, I keep a quite a cheap bottle of vermouth in the fridge, mm. and I just every, anything that kind a of good plan. Yeah. calls for white wine, like a yeah. risotto. I just yeah. use a bit of vermouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't, but I find no, it no, doesn't no. really make a difference. Completely, you're right, particularly dry ones. Mm. So things like Molly. Pratt's a really mm. good one to have, have in the fridge to cook with. Yeah. And drink as well. And it's also good, I think, like you said, you can make really quite strong, punchy drinks, but you can also, I think it's great for yeah. people who want something a bit more... A bit lighter bit, and less alcohol. A bit more alcohol. lower. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's have, it with, it's have it with ice and it's crisp and clean. The alcohol of gin yeah. and spirits. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to hold, hold back on... The booze a bit, yeah, but you still but, want the kind of that. But you kind still of get crisp. the flavour and the yeah. yeah. Um, so something I I wanted to ask you about, um, and you do kind of discuss it a bit. There is a lot of aperitifs are quite bitter. Yes. Um, is it what is it about it that we you know why do we crave that before a meal? Why do we crave that kind of bitter taste? Uh, well, oh, how much time have you got? <laughs> uh, it makes us uh, um, salivate mm. basically mm -hmm. because. Bitterness is fine of toxins. Mm. Our brains are hardwired to think, uh-oh, it's bitter, it might be poisonous. So it kind of cleanse our palate, so to stop salivating. So it ramps and... up the okay. digestive process, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And that's why bitterness works as an aperitif. But not everybody likes it. No. Campari is really bitter and that's a bit marmitey. Yeah, yeah. But they're wrong and I'm right, obviously. Yeah, of course, yes. Um, and the classic thing is, um, you know, it's the, it's the um, joke that anyone who tries a Negroni the first time doesn't like it. But then yes. they try another one and another one. And yes. It's like they do like it. Yes. Um, uh, yes, and so obviously if you ask anyone, um, what, would you, what would you say was an aperitif? Someone who doesn't know a lot about the subject, they'd say it's gin any, and tonic. Yes. Or, it's which is a classic one. thing you drink by itself before you eat a meal. Mm -hmm. a bit, that's in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to have, have a meal afterwards. Just enjoy it. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's so it's kind nice. of what, the, what, what it means. You can play quite fast and loose with what you consider to be yeah. an aperitif. It doesn't have to be sort of it, particular. If you don't gin want or to vodka be. or sherry or vermouths or sparkling wine or still wine or mm -hmm. beer even. Yeah, there's no um, restrictions, basically. What would, um, when it comes to sparkling wine, um, so obviously that's something that's, you know, um, again, something you mentioned in the book is, is quite often restaurants will tend to just offer you, mm -hmm. you know, a glass of champagne. Um, 
and that's kind of a go-to drink at least at least it's an easy choice i guess for some it's people. an easy what would choice. you what are you a champagne girl or you um, carve i like prosecco champagne or um, something. i'm not wildly keen on prosecco because i find it a bit sweet mm -hmm. and a bit boring mm. not all of them there's good ones out there mm -hmm. Mostly, mm -hmm. um, there's some good uh, carver out there, mm -hmm. um, but sparkling wine. If I want a good uh, bottle, um, Cremons mm -hmm. from France, um, which are made exactly this same way as Champagne, but come from different regions. I had a really nice like one. Half I think. the price. Yeah, I had one That's called Cremant de. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but Cremant de Limo. Yep. Um, yep. Which was really Southwest cheap France, and it was yes. delicious. And you could drink a Very lot good. of it. Yeah. As I yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> <At the time. laughs> um, good value. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a couple of more um, questions. Uh, I've got written down on my notes here. Do you think we've hit peak gin or do you think peak <laughs> I thought gin five gin's years ago. never ending? <laughs> I don't know. It's extraordinary. I think um, yeah. it just seems to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> and I'm a bit bored of it, if I'm honest, <laughs> just because there's loads of other things great things to mm -hmm. drink at very apart from gin and I guess it's got to slow down at some stage but I don't know when hopefully soon <laughs> I mean I, I always think there's so many new ones that are opening up yeah. but I think eventually the good, ones, the good ones will the good ones will stay yep. and they'll want and because I mean gin is so cheap to make yeah so yeah. it's easy it's easy to start the business but I guess the yeah. less good ones will yeah will fall away yeah and something else I wanted to ask you is um, if you were going to assemble a capsule uh, aperitif kit, uh, what would uh, what would be the things you'd include? Campari, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, drive vermouth, sweet vermouth, pastis, mm -hmm. um, gin, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good starter yeah. kit, I would yeah. say. And the thing about those... Who kinds of drinks are the very last for ages and age mm. after you open them? Mm -hmm. He could keep vermouth in the fridge. Mm. They, keep, um, they keep for quite a while, don't they? Yeah, yeah. the sweeter they are, the longer they keep. Mm. But um, last much longer than wine after yeah. they're open. So you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to worry about you a few days quickly. later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should drink it quickly, but um, well, yes, but I mean, my vermouth don't last very long. On the fridge, uh, no, mine don't possible. either. <laughs> uh, but if you're if you're a more of a casual drinker, then it is yeah, it's a good choice. The last to have. a month or so, that's quite, yeah, that's a long time. So at least, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, um, so aperitif is out now. Yes, um, it's published by Quadrille. Yes, yes, got that right. I'm glad I didn't yes. get that wrong. <laughs> um, uh, you can find it on Amazon, yeah. um, most good bookshops. All good bookshops. All good bookshops. <laughs> um, and yeah, definitely go and buy yourself a copy. All right, well, thanks, thanks very much, much for coming on, Kate. Thank you. <laughs>
So for many years now, I've been striving to form a new cultural institution for Britain, the British Museum of Food. And many, many people said that it was impossible to have a food museum. After all, what would happen to all the exhibits? <laughs> but um, we've been uh, pushing to try and make it a reality. And this is going to be our first major exhibition. And what better way to start than with ice cream, a dish that everyone loves. And so appropriate for the weather right now oh, as, God, as well. It's, it's, so <laughs> Yeah, it's completely incredible. And so the, um, the exhibition contains, I think it's the world's largest collection of ice cream paraphernalia. Um, what are some of the intriguing objects that people can look out for? So and the real inception of this comes from a conversation with uh, Caroline and Robin Weir. And they are like my ice cream heroes. They're, <laughs> they're absolute legends. They've written the definitive books on ice cream that wow. are, are, are so um, encyclopedic. It's almost, it's almost totally pointless to even start <laughs> trying to write another book. Now, speaking with them, and they've, they've spent an entire lifetime collecting ice cream objects. Oh, wow. And out of their conversations, they said, look, I'd really love to do an exhibition. We've gone to, you know, seaside councils we've gone to all sorts of brands no one's interested and you know we you might have to break up the collection we said no 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 please 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 don't do this give us a year and we'll put on a, a mighty a mighty show for this because we know that people love ice cream wow. um so what we've then been doing is we've spent the last six months working uh with a curator lisa slomensky um on and the collection is fast. It's 14,000 objects pulling oh together some goodness. of the real highlights um, just to give people um, quite a deep and rich understanding of, of why it comes to ice cream. And have they collected those objects from like all over the world? They just go, they just search out ice cream objects. <laughs> uh, but it's quite a considered collection as well. Yeah. So I mean, there are many, many of the important seminal pieces from ice cream history. Um, so you've got things like um, the actual churns at Agnes B. Marshall, um, okay. who is the sort of Victorian equivalent of Jamie Oliver. Okay. Um, so these very, very rare examples. Um, you've got all sorts of ice cream um, moulds there. So ice cream historically used to be moulded. So um, you'd have mm. asparagus ice cream shaped like a bunch of asparagus. So like jelly. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I've got on my wow. desk here uh, an, a potato mould used for ice cream. Wow. And I think a lot of this, this is an era before television before uh, smartphones um yeah. a hilarious aristocratic party joke was to to have your banquet course at the end of the meal everyone goes along to the banqueting house and there you behold a savory feast <laughs> um but actually it's all different molded ice creams oh my God. pig's heads <laughs> wow to, um, corn bushels laid that out on the table party. for you <laughs> it also explores the history of ice cream doesn't it so you look at history how ice cream has developed over the years. Yeah, so, is that... so 2018 is a really important year for ice cream. This is the 300th anniversary of the first printed ice cream recipe. Ah, so and it was printed reason in, behind it. <laughs> well, it was printed in an English book as well. Oh, really? Um, and it's actually... Not Italy. <laughs> well, the, and the Italians were recording the first okay. ice cream recipes, but the first printed recipe is, is, is English. And... Um, uh, the other thing is, it's not often that a 99th year would be important, but I think with ice cream, 99th years can be can be important. Yep, and so it's the 399th year this year of the first um, 
British ice house as well. Okay. So, you know, you, you actually need the ice to be able to start getting into these, these sweet desserts. So that was made for James I in, in Greenwich. Um, so this is, this is almost a, a culinary odyssey through time. We're able to eat your way through ice cream history. And we've been working with Robin and all his... Um, uh, books to to sort of pinpoint some of the really interesting ice cream flavors from history and some you'll smell some you'll taste um, and then you actually even go into the future with what you're able to to, to eat oh intriguing so you say that obviously you've been developing and reworking these ice cream recipes mm. what are some of the can you tell us a bit about some of the the ones that'll be there well i think as soon as you start researching it you soon realise that artisanal ice cream today doesn't have a patch on the figure and variety and strangeness <laughs> of some of the historic recipes. When people had these ice, the ice cream technology, the cooks and writers just went wild on what they're putting into it. So I think it will get to taste in a minute. I know, um, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> some really fine cucumber ice cream, which is really, Ooh. really refreshing, just perfect for the hot weather at the moment. <sighs> Um, we've got even a breakfast ice cream, which is a bitter marmalade um, served in a brioche bun. Um, and, then wow. my, <laughs> and then my particular favourite at the moment is a daffodil ice cream. And there's a, we found a 17th century recipe for daffodil ice cream. And it's very, very intriguing because, of course, um, daffodils are totally and utterly poisonous. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this going to work? <laughs> were people actually making this recipe? If they were, like, mm. was historic digestion so bad? I think people felt pretty rubbish. Pretty poorly a lot of the time um, that they didn't notice that they're getting poisoned or was uh, mortality uh, rates so high that you know, they just didn't notice didn't, that, that, yeah. everyone, that everyone that had that particular dish on was the table not, didn't, not come, surviving. Didn't, didn't come for breakfast the next day. <laughs> Um, but what we've done with that is we've worked with flavor scientists to approximate daffodil flavoring using natural and artificial ingredients. Right. So you're able to have all the savor and sensation of a daffodil ice cream, um, but without, um, with, <laughs> without, without the danger of death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, and it's quite, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite good. How long does it take you to develop the recipe? So say you like, you found, you'd seen the cucumber ice cream recipe. Mm. How long did it? take you and how many times do you have to kind of rework it to get it to a point where you were like yeah this is what we want well the good thing is we work with robin weir um mm. he is the ultimate ice cream expert <laughs> he knows his stuff uh, he sits i think he eats ice cream every day he sits on all the boards all the panels of um uh the ice cream alliance um, you know, just just giving a marker of quality. Yeah. One of the one of the intriguing things like when working with Robin, I was pushing for what, what's his favourite flavour. Yeah. Um, and he says vanilla, and he Ooh. says this is this is one of those things. It's it's the the absolute test. You can tell if what someone's ice cream is like by testing their vanilla. And if their vanilla is good, then um, you can then trust you, every, you can yeah. trust everything else. That's what I always say about a margarita pizza. Mm. If you're going to a new pizza place if mm. you just keep it classic so yeah same same principles or cooking or yeah. cooking an egg like yeah. yeah we all know about chefs um having their How initiation egg. yeah exactly cook an egg. so he kind of taught he did he kind of help you in the process of developing the ice cream recipes to like a so he's already level. he's already developed some of those so, recipes right, okay. and then we've just been looking at how we take them so that loads and those people can, can yeah. try them out um and as, as well as obviously the museum exhibition that you go through and you taste 
things. Um, we're also having an uh, ice cream cafe, which we're calling Conehenge. Uh, um, <laughs> just to All signify, the <laughs> to signify the significance of <laughs> British history uh, that was going to be coursing through this. <laughs> and so, um, also, as long as well as the eating the ice cream and the history, I've heard there's going to be glow in the dark ice cream and lots of different sensory elements in that way. Is that, is that true? <laughs> yeah, of course. So I mean, one of the things, we didn't want just to look at the past, we want to look at like what ice creams might be like in the future as well. Mm. Um, so we've developed up our own um, uh, glow-in-the-dark ice cream. There's several different ways you can do it, um, but you actually enter a glow-in-the-dark chamber and it's going to be a, a soft serve um, nice. that will glow as, as you lick it. There's also another one that I'm really excited about. Um, and this we actually got um, Ben and Jerry's on board to help out with. Okay. And... Um, so what we're doing is we're serving up their new Muforia range. Um, and while we monitor your brain activity, so we can see what goes on in your head as you eat wow. an ice cream. Because their, their range is like a light ice cream. Yeah. But then actually it really stimulates your brain and you can oh see everything goodness. light up. And so you'll see you'll, that'll be all visualized through the means of a laser. Wow. This is not just, this is not just your average ice cream is it this is next level wow so are they the main ones are there any are there going to be any other little parts like that well there's lots and lots of experience of course one of the things that we want to do is get people to learn the principles of making ice cream as well right yeah um and so yeah historically some of the old those old-fashioned ice makers were way more efficient than um the contemporary ones mm. and they're just working combining ice and salt and that chills the ice down to about minus 20 and then you have a a, a tin that sits within that um and then a spaddle which oh, is the, the technical term word. for an ice cream spoon <laughs> and as the ice cream freezes you you keep on scraping it away from the side and oh. the more you do that as well the finer the crystals will be so the smoother that ice cream oh, will right. be so we're getting people to do their very own version shaking it up in ice cream and they're being taught oh. by um, Agnes B. Marshall, again, this Victorian equivalent of Jamie Oliver, like oh, wow. this legendary entrepreneurial um, ice cream maven, oh. um, by her assistant, is sort of a theatrical, immersive experience. You get to go to school with her. Wow, this sounds amazing. Well, thank you, Sam. That is great. I think everyone should definitely go and check it out when it opens on the 3rd of July at the British Museum of Food and it's in King's Cross, isn't it? Yeah, it's in King's Cross and and King's Cross is actually really important for this because that was the centre of Britain's ice trade. Oh, it all links, doesn't it? (laughs) So, yes, they're they're actually the Canal and River Trust Museum. Um, There contains the Gatti Ice Wells, so Gatti was, uh, he starts off as an ice cream maker um, and then got into shipping, basically shipping ice all around London. And wow. that would be shipped in from um, uh, America um, or would be shipped in from uh, the Arctic. So quite often, um, uh, yeah, for example, like Britain's whaling fleet, which mm. did have a whaling fleet um, at one point, if they were unsuccessful, they'd ballast their ships by carving off glaciers um, oh and then learning that into the hold and then when they came back to town they'd sell the ice rather than um you know what what, they, what they'd hunted yeah amazing i feel like i've had a history lesson as well mm. so thank you i'm off to go and try some ice cream now perfect <laughs> thank you sam okay let's let's try some ice cream 
Okay, this is Janine, and I'm here with Adam, or Kukri Writer Ninja. Hello. And football That's fan. What a title. And football fan. Ninja football and fan. football fan. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, so we're talking this week about, uh, it might not have escaped anyone's notice that there's a whole World Cup going on sure right is. now. Sure it's is. It's certainly going on in my house yeah. every single game. And mine. Um, and what we thought we'd do is talk about World Cup and food, because obviously there's, at the minute, there's three matches a day on. Um, people need feeding. What do you eat when the World Cup's on? Can we link it into the countries that are playing in the World Cup? Of yes, course we, we can. can. In fact, <laughs> when we first came up with this idea, I tried to shoehorn in a um, Dr. Pepper ribs recipe until Adam pointed out to me that the USA weren't actually playing in the World Cup. Yeah, sorry to rub salt on any uh, American <laughs> fans' wounds, but you're not here. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'm a complete dunce about um, who was actually in it. Yeah. I just thought everyone was in it, because there's so many teams. There I are can't... a lot of teams this year. And it, it is, well, this is like rubbish football fact, but there's going to be even more at the next um, World Cup, like 48 teams How or something. How can there be more? Are because they'll, they'll put another, I think they put another two groups on. Oh, another okay. four, there'll be can another eight teams. just expand it? Yeah. But it's ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. It's not about football. <laughs> it's about food. Um, so I did a little straw poll with my husband who is currently watching, he works from home, is currently watching three matches a day at the minute. Um, and he said, nothing that's going to interrupt the flow of the game or get people standing up, reaching for stuff and yeah. going in front of the screen, yeah. handheld. Yeah. I think I think what he's saying is you need one thing in front of you and just eat it yourself. Yeah. You don't want like a smorgasbord to be yeah. like, oh, I'll go and get a bit more of that. It's like, no, you're in the way of a TV now. He did like, actually say the word, for God's sake, don't do a smorgasbord where everyone's going to be up and down constantly. And So, sorry, Sweden, but we didn't yeah. choose you. <laughs> we didn't choose you for one Don't we like our... Sweden? We do like Sweden. Yeah. And I do like smorgasbords yeah. every now and again. So um, so what we thought we'd do is pick three three countries each and kind of go see you know who wins um <laughs> head to head we're just gonna go head, head to head, 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 basically. Head to head. all right who, who's up first on your team um i chose south korea yep because for me this is like ultimate watching the football food okay korean fried chicken like strong it's <laughs> basically you just sit with it on your knee you get messy hands but it's like spicy salty you know all the good things yeah. that you want to basically be drinking beer with that's it's proper like, beer food isn't it's it? proper beer food and for me that is like the absolute <coughs> dream like if i was if i actually i've got a recipe coming out made some buffalo chicken thighs on the barbecue for yeah. some friends while we watched the football that was pretty good but yeah. on par with korean fried chicken and you've got um is it just is it just the wings or you've got like all different bits there um so this is a recipe from the website which uses like the whole uh like drumstick and thighs as well i All think right, cool, so yeah um yeah because i think you want a bit of meat to, like wings are good but they can be a bit picky yeah yeah you want definitely. a bit more meat ratio to like crispy what, and what's the um what's the glaze on it what makes it uh, so the usual the use of like gochujang, which is yeah. a fermented Korean chili paste, um, which is usually then sort of barbecued up with a bit of soy sauce, a bit yeah. of brown sugar, a bit of ketchup. Nice. But it's really that sort of like spicy fermented funk that the gochujang yeah, yeah, yeah. gives to you, which is like makes it so delicious. Nice, and just have a pile of napkins ready. Yeah, like or just some bowls with some little wedges of lemon in them, yeah. like you get. <laughs> All right, yeah, really, like that's gonna go down well, in your house. <laughs> Yeah, I can just see everyone like finger finger bowl. Yeah, be someone drinking it, or someone yeah. probably pouring it into some vodka, making it a mixer out of it or something. You know, definitely. So, um, who have you got? Well, I'm going to go up against that with um, the 
Japan. Um, and my recipe is a kind of fun Japanese recipe, as in it's not sushi, it's kind of Japanese, it's based on kind of Japanese dude food, which is a trend. Um, um, I think um, Tim Anderson Nam Ban start, yeah. started it or, or is involved in a lot of it, which is kind of taking a lot of the full elements, fun elements of um, Japanese food, mashing it up, bringing in some Western influences. So I have got the chicken katsu scotch egg, mm -hmm. um, which is my recipe. <laughs> They're not all my recipes, but um, this Just is a really good one. Just as a side one. note, all of mine are Janine's, I think. <clears throat> They're not actually are that. They not? that That one's not mine. Is that why you asked about it? Because you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is that? Um, so this uses, um, it's really simple because um, I found out that everyone was starting to do chicken sausages. So it used to be an American thing. Mm. Um there's a lot of really good ones around now. Yeah, because it's something that I would definitely have turned my nose up. But yeah. now, knowing what I know, that they can be so delicious and yeah, moist. They are, they're and like, really, yeah, they're really good. Because it was usually at, if I went somewhere and it was like a pork alternative, you know, they'd have yeah. like some kind of like chicken or turkey sausage. It wasn't very good. Yeah. But actually, like anything done well, it's so delicious. It works because they're, kind of, they're kind of spiced already and they've yeah. got that texture you need for a Scotch egg. And what I did was I mixed it with sort of... Um, Asian flavourings, so ginger, sesame oil, spring onions, mirin, um, and then mushed it all together. And then you kind of, um, your eggs, you do this technique where you boil them and shell them, and then you kind of steep them in soy sauce and mirin. Yeah. So, um, so you sort of like, pick, like, it's almost like pickling or curing them yeah, almost. So curing. like they get like a really nice colour mm. and also that soy sauce sauce Starts seasoning. to go into it as well. Yeah, it goes into it. And then you just cover them in the chicken sausage mix, uh, breadcrumb them, um, sort of flour egg breadcrumb, classic, and then um, deep fry, which we all love, <laughs> and, and then serve it with a kind of Japanese curry sauce, which is kind of like... It, you know, it's it's a very mild curry sauce, and it's, it's like it's, it's like a chip shop curry sauce. It's just chip shop. Chip shop. It is chip shop. I mean, shop. I would say that it's 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 classic. It's like a very Western Japanese idea of a curry sauce, which mm. is super mild, um, bright yellow. Yeah, but you know, yeah. it's all over Japan it's as well. It's what, what you get in a katsu curry as yeah, well. Yeah. But I've given a homemade recipe that is also on the website. Um, I don't know. I reckon we're like one all on that one. <laughs> I, I would demolish both of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. What you got next? Hit me. Nachos. More specifically, yep. breakfast nachos. Because okay. there's a few Double one o'clock kick. There's a few one o'clock <laughs> kickoffs here. Yeah. And particularly on a Saturday or a Sunday, you might feel a little bit, you know, sorry for yourself. And um, I thought this would be a good picky thing for like people to eat, but also like you know brunchy. So Delicious. we're going kind of Mexico, but it's kind of Texas. So this is Mexico. With a bit of full English. So USA, this is sort of a little little shout out for you, but yeah. you're not you're not actually. Next open. next time, forty eight teams I'm, you'll be in. I'm pretty sure the Mexicans might be pretty offended if I actually showed them what I was representing them with. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, basically just corn tortillas, um, grilled with like loads of cheese. Um and then you make like a sort of salsa with pickled jalapenos, yeah. black uh, like black beans, vine tomatoes, red onion, um, and then you do like make like crispy bits to go on top, so you oh, get some like diced bacon or di and diced chorizo, chorizo yeah. and then um, loads of lime juice. Bake that again, and then you fry some eggs and stick them on top. It's going to be a bit messy. The one that we, the one we've got on the website is, um, I think we did a video for it, didn't we? This video mm. as well, um, and it's it's basically a massive tray of nachos with about seven fried eggs on top. So <laughs> literally, literally, if you're is. keeping in the rules of the <laughs> the World Cup, I would probably. Um, Give each person a little bowl of nachos and their own egg. Yes, to dip yeah, in. I would. I, would, I, would, I, would. I wouldn't want to be dipping in my neighbour's egg. 
No, no, no <laughs> one wants to be dating. I, I wouldn't want anyone dipping my egg. That's just weird. <laughs> Um, and so, I've, I've also gone breakfasty um, nice. for it's Australian. It's almost like we talked about this before we started. <laughs> Actually, no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> Australia, um, Australia, um, Australia. This is not an Australian recipe, but what we talked about was the fact that Aussies pretty much invented the brunch trend. I yeah. mean, they did, didn't they? Yeah. They've been doing brunch for years. Yeah. Ever since Bill Granger did those amazing scrambled eggs in Bill's restaurant years mm-hmm. and years and years ago. Um, and this is an egg and cheese brunch bagel. And what's really good about it is it's kind of super comforty. It's not got fried egg. What what you do is you, you get a really small frying pan and you just beat one egg or you could have two eggs if you're feeling hungry. But actually one egg is the perfect size to fit in it. Um, so then you... You pour out the beaten egg into the pan, so it kind of sets, put a slice of emmental, a nice thick slice of emmental in the middle, and then you flip the sides of the omelette over into the emmental until it becomes this little round of egg with melty cheese in yeah. the middle. So it like encloses, the yeah, completely encloses. completely encloses yeah. it. And then you stuff that in a hot toasted bagel with chili jam, rocket, and, of course, it's Australia, avocado, yeah. and then just smash that one down. Yeah, and that's, smash you know, it down. <laughs> Cup of tea, yes, or cold lager. Beer, either it yeah. works on either. Definitely, so I, think, I think they're both winners. Actually, again, yeah, two each. Really good recipe. Yeah, <laughs> two each. Oh, all the recipes oh. are just so good, aren't they? <laughs> um, cool. The finale, the really, the decider, technically. Decider. Oh And actually, man. looking looking at yours, yeah, you've gone pretty different there. Like these are not similar at all. I just saw the word Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I also saw the, oh, and it's like Portuguese language speaking up against each other, a yeah, bit of rivalry exactly, here. So I've gone for the Brazil Grill Burger, which was on our cover um, a couple of years ago, probably it, now. It's a stonker. Um, I mean, not going to lie, to make it is pretty involved. Yeah. But if you were to, yeah. it would be amazing. So it's got like uh, peri-peri sauce on there, obviously like beef burgers. Um, it's got pickled onions. Yeah, it's got pink pickled onions. Pink pickled onions. It's got onion rings, which you make yourself. Spiced onion rings, yeah. Um, it's got like a chimichurri relishy sauce yeah. thing. Um, it's got avocado, avocado and lime. The mayo. reason I know all about this is it's my recipe. Um, <laughs> creamy avocado and lime mayo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely loaded with goodness. And it looks like you couldn't get it in your mouth, but actually you can. And bacon. We, yeah, and, and cheese. Ba- yeah, the bacon is like a glazed bacon, so I think it's a kind of spiced glazed bacon as well. Peri-peri glazed bacon, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it, yeah. So kind of sort of candied peri-peri bacon. Mm. So, yeah, and a, a lot one. of cheese. Yeah, I love um, that recipe. Yeah, it's pure filth, but just, I yeah. mean, what, like, there's no way of beating that. What have you yeah. got? What, what, le- <laughs> what lesser thing have you got? And I, well, I've, I've gone for Portugal because um, we had to have one sweet thing in there. And we find that whenever we post pictures of our Portuguese custard tart recipe, it just goes insane. Um, people love them. Mm-hmm. And actually, we did a, we did a step-by-step. I'm not going to go into it in a massive detail, but we did step-by-step using um, bought puff pastry and it's just a really lovely technique how you make the base of, of the, you know, how yeah. you make that puff up. Yeah, because it's you, like a, uh, a spiral that you sort of turn on its side and then push and flatten. Yeah, so the... what you do is you get a sheet of all butter puff pastry and then you, um, you dust it with ice and sugar 
roll it up into a sausage and then cut that into little pieces, then flip them on the side. So as you said, the spiral is upwards and then you roll up that spiral and out. That and lot, lot, yeah. that lines your tin. And that becomes like a super crisp base for your lovely rich custard. So you're sort of harnessing that sort of the layers of the puff pastry, yeah. but not upwards sort of sideways and lining your tin. Yeah. So you get like crispy Creating layers. your own lamination, exactly. I believe it's called, yes, you know, without no, you all of the be... fuss of making your own puff pastry. Like no, who would never, ever do that? Never do that. And I just thought, oh, you know, it's Portugal... That's one of the things that they're really famous for. Um, so, you know, let, let's end on a, a nice sweet note. But um, So, yeah. on the last note, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? Is it coming home? <laughs> it's really funny because as soon as um, England scored, like, those six goals, it, it just turned into this mad feed and frenzy of every single commentator and all of my mates going, you know, we could do, you know, and I was going, it's just Panama, you know, like, yeah. wait until we meet. I would say wait until the next round, but we could. And we, I you think know. if there was ever going to be a time, this is it, yeah, this where is all it. the top teams aren't playing great. Yeah, like exactly. Spain, you know, they're not playing well. Yeah. Portugal aren't playing well. Brazil aren't playing well. Germany aren't playing well. Well, we could do it, couldn't we? Could we could do it. Maybe we'll come it. back and talk about it at the end. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll get hired. A celebration well. meal. <laughs> I'll get, yeah, maybe. What would you serve? Yeah, what, <laughs> what are you serving after the World Cup and Marvel on it? Just something celebratory like yeah, booze. crisps and dip. Yeah. <laughs> and booze, lots and of booze. it. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks for that. All of those recipes are available yeah. on the Olive Magazine website. Mm-hmm. So go get cooking, get watching footy. And yeah, thanks a lot, Adam. Cheers. That was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can also pick up a copy of our June issue now, or you can go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.